This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Yesterday, the province unveiled its three-stage blueprint for reopening the economy. It came with a mantra that was repeated over and over. This is a roadmap, not a calendar. Joining me now with more on how this recovery will happen, Finance Minister Rod Phillips. Hello, and thanks so much for being with us. Good afternoon, Libby. Thank you for having me. Okay, so uh, the watchwords for your three stages are protect and support, restart, and then recover. Uh, so business business people are, by their nature, planners. How, how can they use this roadmap in order to plan? Well, it is really for us about, uh, about two things. Uh, one, we wanted to make sure that we were being clear with everyone. And, but you're right, particularly with business people and with the people who've been so uh, helpful in terms of shutting down their businesses and, and I guess all of us in terms of fundamentally changing our lives about what the criteria were going to be for us to open up. And the second was then to let people know that when we open up, we're going to do it in a staged way. We're going to we're going to move forward with with a set of businesses and other services that people need um, for a two to four week period because we need that two to four week period for the public health people to be able to judge. Um, you know, the, the the incubation period for the disease is is two weeks, so they need to be able to judge our progress at each step along the way, so that there would be a set of criteria uh, that that people would know uh, what we were measuring, and then that we would open up in a staged process um, where we would bring online some of the businesses that could be done uh, more safely uh, and 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 then open another setup uh, a little further along uh, based on making sure that we were making progress in a really careful way and a really safe way, but also bring businesses back as quick as we can. Okay. Uh, so in terms of the benchmarks, we know that you need a, at least a two-week period, a two- to four-week period between these, but uh, is it possible to get any more specific benchmarks, like if what sure. percentage in drops, just to give people an idea? Yeah, no, absolutely. So so there really are four, um, we'll call them triggers, if you want, from a health perspective that we need to make sure are in place. And and they're all important, but I'll say the one that people are going to be watching the most closely is just the case levels. And so we need to see case levels decline. And this, of course, was was developed with the chief medical officer, with with his colleagues across the province, and as well with uh, with with the science community. So, so you know, we're, cur- we're currently seeing you know 500 cases in some cases a day of new cases, and we need to see that case rate be declining. Um, we also monitor by how well, much any 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 you, again. Again, the, the, the chief medical officer, we take our, our direction from, from him. He's talked at different times about 200 cases, but those could be community cases versus the cases in long-term care homes. So again, these are, these are the details that the health uh, professionals work with, but they've also talked in the same vein about the number of cases in hospitals, um, the, a decrease in the number of cases that cannot be traced to source. So people talk about case tracking. It's, it's, it's very important that we're able to track where these come from and to the extent that we can't, 
that's a concern from a health perspective. The other areas, um, making sure that we still have the ICU and other acute uh, capacity in our hospitals, which we do have today, um, making sure that we have the personal protective equipment available um, so that people can meet the guidelines that we're setting. Again, we have that today, but you know, Libby, that's been a challenge throughout this at different times. Um, making sure that we have you know, the ability, and this is a very specific criteria, approximately 90% of new contacts that can be reached by local public health groups. Uh, uh, professionals within 24 hours, so that tracing capacity. And then finally, making sure that we have the protection around around the vulnerable populations that we need to have. So, so those are the those are the criteria and some of the numbers. And again, we work with with the chief medical officer as we follow those each day. But I think people will people do do watch the case rate every day and watch the hospitalization rate. Those are important metrics. When you were coming out with this, uh, Quebec did at the same time, and their blueprint for reopening things is. Much more aggressive, even though their outbreak is is actually worse. Uh, how will that affect us? And are you concerned about that? You know, I, I, they have a, a different set of circumstances. I work quite closely with with uh, my colleague, who's the finance minister there, who's also uh, leading uh, the initiatives around around reopening the economy. Uh, you know, we've we've made different choices uh, around, for instance, schools uh, where they've talked about opening them a couple weeks, and we've said not till the end of. Of, uh, of next month. I think those, you know, all I can say is that ours reflects the approach that we want to take around making sure that we're, we're safe. And, and this is, yes, first and foremost, because we want to protect Ontarians, but it's also, Libby, because one of the things that, that could happen if you try to open up too quickly and don't do it in this staged way is the risk is is you get to a situation where we have to lock down the economy again. And, and we, we don't want to do that. So, that's the approach we've taken. We'll obviously watch really closely what's happening, not just in Canadian jurisdictions, but around the world. Uh, yeah. So uh, which of those jurisdictions do you think will give us the best idea of how to proceed? It's, it's a great question. We, you, we need to look at places, and I'll, I'll have a couple of specifics to give you, but we need to look at places that did have a level of infection that was similar. So people talk a bit about things like Singapore or talk about uh, uh, South Korea, but because of the different actions they took at the beginning, they didn't have the same size of issue as as parts of North America and, and us have had. Um, Germany is an interesting example of a place, uh, again, um, through a lot of the same measures that we're talking about. And of course, because Europe uh, was suffering from this earlier, we can watch what works. In, in some of those uh, some of those locations, they have way more uh, testing in Germany. Uh, they 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 do, um, and and again, one of the things we're doing, we're ramping up uh, over twelve thousand tests today, and and the other thing that that we are doing is looking at new types of testing. So, as you know, the testing today takes several days to get the results. We've purchased uh, almost a million tests from Spartan, which is a European based company that uses an RNA method that would actually give you the test result within an hour. So it's not just the volume of a particular type of testing, it's different types of testing. I know you've talked before on the show about antibody testing or serological testing. Um, we're really pushing Health Canada to approve some of those. There's a number of those in the United States that are approved. That kind of uh, antibody-based testing is another important part of testing. So, so that's, and that's why in the criteria, as I mentioned, testing is an important part of, of being able to go forward successfully. Uh, are you at all concerned, speaking of the U.S., of what's going on there, the way uh, some states are reopening? Does that pose a, a danger to us? I mean, you're looking at Florida, Georgia. I guess from our perspective, I mean, we wish everybody well in terms of what goes on in their jurisdictions, but but we'll we'll watch what works. 
and and how it works. Uh, we are much more attentive to the border states, you know, uh, New York uh, and Michigan, number one and number three in terms of deaths in the United States. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities between New York State and Ontario, and I think it's only through the great work of our health professionals and the advice uh, they provided, and frankly, 14.5 million Ontarians that, that we're not in the very difficult situation they are around community spread. Um, but we also need to watch those, the, I'll call it the Midwest and the, and the industrial Northeast states. They have two different groups of states that are looking collectively at how they reopen. You know, Libby, that we do so much trade across those borders, our supply chains across those borders from a manufacturing point of view. So we're working with those governors and those states to understand what their plans are to reopen. Um, there's no point in making some of the, the things that we make here manufacturing-wise if the plant in Ohio isn't open yet to receive them. So we're learning from everybody. No, we certainly are not too proud to, to say that there's going to be people that we can learn from and, and we'll do better. And we hope that, that we will probably provide some, some guidance to others as well. On the weekend, uh, you announced pay hikes for low-paid uh, essential workers working in long-term care, uh, some in hospitals. Uh, some of our grocery workers are getting pay hikes, but that prompted... Other workers like uh, paramedics who uh, do an amazing job but are better paid to, you know, put their hands out and say, we need a pay hike too. Uh, and I, I was just talking to uh, the operator of a nonprofit who said she's had workers who would rather stay on the CRB uh, than come back to work now that the wage subsidy is in place. Uh, where does this all end? Well, Libby, it's, you know, everybody, and, and listen, I've been a, a, a fan of the of what the federal government's been doing, um, knowing that they've had to course correct throughout sometimes just because we're all doing this for the first time, uh, you know, in terms of trying to figure out how to do things. When the CRB, when the $2,000 wage subsidy was put into place, you know, 7 million Canadians are on that today. I think we'd all agree it's important that that money was there. It also created some some issues, uh, unintended consequences in terms of, of what that meant for other other uh, employers who, who work at the at the lower end of the income spectrum. So that's why we made the announcement on on Saturday. We're listening. I certainly, uh, the paramedics, I mean, there's a, certainly a group of people that we'd all agree um, when they're doing their job and doing it right, which which they do, uh, physical distancing isn't an option when, when they're needing to help somebody into a gurney or, or others. So so we're going to continue to look at those and, and and do what we need to do to support the the, the people who are, are really helping us uh, and getting us through this. But it's, you know, anybody who's expecting perfection, um, A, doesn't know much about government, and B, doesn't appreciate that this is this is a challenge uh, that we all have faced. But I think if we're if we're willing to be humble enough to admit that we can do it do it better and watch what happens and listen to people, we'll, we'll come through this okay. Have you started to think about how these things get wound down? Well, it's a great question. Maybe one of the things that we've done in terms of the, the programs we've put in place is try to look at them as very specific to this emergency. So, for example, in the when I put out our $17 billion um, response to COVID-19, we included a billion-dollar extra contingency just for COVID in the health space. And that, but that was set up as a contingency, A, to make sure that we had the resources we need for PPE or for other things, but also because that doesn't become a permanent part of the budget. Um, so, so, you know, 
you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we, as, as your listeners likely know, we, we took a unique step. Um, we put out a new, a new financial plan for a year. Every other government in Canada just sort of went with their old one. We wanted to put one out that reflected at least our best understanding a month ago of what was happening. We'll do a full budget come the fall, no later than November 15th. That'll be the more traditional multi-year plan when we have better perspective. Um, but, uh, and, you know, and I think, you know, we, we all hope, of course, by that time that we are through a lot of this and are able to look with a little more insight at what this has, uh, what the impacts of this are on a multi-year basis. And yeah, how long to pay it off? Yeah, and how long to pay it off. But, you know, right, like right now, I mean, listen, you know us, we were, we were, and I think to the province's credit, moving us to a better financial footing, that's what's meant that we have the resources. I mean, the reason you plan for a rainy day is when a rainy day comes, and this is absolutely that rainy day. Um, but, but we also, you know, it's that, you know, putting us back on a strong financial footing is a longer term objective right now, though, we've got to spend what it takes, uh, along with the federal government to make sure that we support people. Okay. Final question. Uh, everybody is looking to the day when we have a vaccine. So now there's also a lot of talk about whether the vaccines should be mandatory before people can go back to work, back to, uh, do you have a view on that? That's a great question, Libby. I don't. I got to be honest. <laughs> I've been thinking about a lot of things, but I haven't thought. I haven't thought that through. I, I am. I'm realistic. I think about the timeframes for a vaccine, and this is just listening to experts and professionals. Um, that that you know the that I think we we are going to have to go through several stages, as you talked about. We have that three step process. We want to be well into the recovery phase, but we all know that things are going to have to be operating differently for a time period until we have widespread immunity. And uh, that is most likely going to come from a vaccine. But uh, you've asked a good question. And uh, that's that's one that we have uh, at least, I think, uh, 12 to 18 months to think about the answer to. Okay. Thank you so much, Finance Minister Rod Phillips. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Libby. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's bring in Ryan Mallow, the Director of Provincial Affairs at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Hello, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So uh, what do you think of what the finance minister and the premier have been saying? Uh, You know, they they have talked about reopening the economy, but emphasizing no calendar. Is what they're saying enough for your members to start planning on how to come back and on, more importantly, how they can last until they come back? So I, I think it's encouraging that we've we've reached a point in this whole process where we're finally talking about reopening. That is certainly a good sign. Uh, that being said, uh, it it is very much a framework, and and as such, lacks a lot of details that uh, our members are really looking for, uh, especially when it comes to uh, timelines and dates about when they can be open, what kinds of businesses would be included uh, in the phases, and for those that are included. What is it exactly they're reopening to? Are we talking about reopening the store sort of as normal? Are we talking about reopening the store with, you know, mandatory PPE for employees or limited number of customers, uh, modified operations like sort of a curbside pickup only? So uh, as, good as, it, as good as it is to be talking about it, there are still a lot of unanswered questions that business owners are looking for before they can really uh, move on on getting ready for reopening. Uh, I I would have imagined that a lot of businesses have already looked at whether they can move to pick up and delivery and that kind of thing. No. Well, so this is one of the issues in Ontario. Is uh, while every other province, with the exception of Quebec, has allowed curbside pickup really throughout the pandemic, uh, Ontario has actually limited it to five specific retail sectors. 
Um, and, we, and can you go over which they are? So it would be uh, pets, pet supply stores, uh, office and, and computer supply, uh, hardware stores, uh, health and safety supply. Oh, and there's one other sort of big box type of store I'm missing. But what it excludes are things like, like clothing retail or bookstores or sort of your, your general Main Street retailer. So while they're allowed to continue to operate on an e-commerce basis, they can only provide delivery, not curbside pickup, which for some of them, they're able to do it. But for others, that would require you know, additional employees or uh, additional costs in terms of deli- uh, setting up delivery routes and whatnot. Um, so they, they've actually been deterred from doing it. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> On the weekend, I, I uh, took a walk along uh, the, you know, the main street near my home, and uh, I was picking up some food. and And there was a store. Uh, it was a retail clothing store, and there was. It looked open to me, and it, there was a big sign that said, "This is pickup only." So they weren't allowed to be picking up. Hmm. That that's right, and it's it's actually been a not just a major source of frustration, but a major source of confusion for a lot of business owners across Ontario. The uh, the guidelines when the government uh, revised the essential business list weren't especially clear on this, um, and it was difficult to get a, a clear answer from the hotline. So, so since then, the government has, has put out an FAQ saying that uh, curbside is limited to these five retailers, but we know that there's been a number of, of retailers who've been offering it because their read of the, the situation was they could, and it turns out retroactively that they couldn't. Um, and I will note that depending on where you are across the province and who's doing the enforcing, be it the OPP, local police, municipal bylaw, public health, um, you tend to get a very different interpretation depending on which uh, inspector walks by your shop uh, Hmm. on any given day, which is also not especially helpful. Okay, well, why doesn't that surprise me. Uh, <laughs> you, you, In your original surveys on this, there was a very disturbing statistic. I believe 25% of your members said they couldn't last the month. So it's been a month. So in fact, have that number of small businesses shut their, shut their doors for good? And what's the situation now for being, people being able to, you know, last through this when, you know, according to that blueprint, I would say it's, it's going to be a, a good couple of months. Yeah. So one of the things that's always been difficult for us to track is, is how many businesses have, have actually closed down. And I mean, in a, in a normal setting, at the very least, when you're walking down your street, you can see, you know, there's a, a, were closed sign or, you know, maybe there's a liquidation sale marking the end of something. One of the unique uh, issues or situations in this pandemic is that uh, all the closures are invisible because nobody, nobody is out and about, you know, the, the lights are off in either case. Um, so we're really not sure what it is we're going to be coming back to. Um, that being said, we have seen that, that number around that 25 or 30% say, you know, if, if these restrictions go to the end of May, we're really, uh, not sure if we're going to be able to to come back. Um, it's really going to depend on what sort of support uh, remains available to then. What is it they're reopening to? I mean, I note that the uh, the Ontario government put a fair number of, of supports in as far as deferring taxes and, and payments that businesses would have to make, but those deferrals come up in June. And if we're not opening until, you know, end of May, beginning of June, are businesses really going to be in a position to be able to pay those deferrals? Uh, or will the government... Uh, push them even further down the road. So there's there's a lot of a lot of unanswered questions and a, a lot of things up in the air with the framework uh, not having any clear dates or deadlines. Okay, but is it possible that those businesses, that large number of businesses that says they're closing for good, maybe uh, figured something out in the interim? It's possible. I mean, certainly uh, things like announcing the the rent program that was 
one of the major sticking points that we heard about was about 55% of Ontario businesses uh, didn't think they'd be able to make May rent without government support. Uh, we know that the, the feds in the province have come together to announce a program. That in itself is, is a super encouraging sign. That being said, the immediate feedback that we've gotten from a lot of small businesses is my landlord is not interested in eating 25% of my rent. They're not going to apply for the program. What do I do? Um, so there's there's still a lot of, again, a lot of question marks that are very dependent on uh, how these programs are structured, what the actual details are. I mean, I, I appreciate that it's incredibly hard to make policy on the fly. Um, that being said, we tend to get an, an announced program. The details come a week later, um, which is frustrating for business owners who think they have might something that helped only to find out that they're actually not eligible uh, a week later. And then they're sort of back to square one. So it's 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 been difficult to navigate. I mean, it, it is difficult to navigate sort of government bureaucracy and red tape at the best of times. Um, it's been particularly pronounced during COVID. Uh, the 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 government finally opened uh, that 75 percent wage subsidy program yesterday. Do you have a sense of how many of your members are applying for it, are eligible and any sense of, of how it's going? So we, we know it's a significant chunk. We know that by, I think it was by noon yesterday, about 10,000 businesses had applied. Um, and I think something like 300,000 had, had at least looked uh, at the portal. Um, so far, the feedback has been pretty steadily positive as far as uh, you know the, the application process and how to go through it. It seems like for most uh, businesses, it was quick and relatively easy to use. We have heard some some concerns around certain parts of the spreadsheet they give you not necessarily working, but it looks like those uh, are being those bugs are being worked out as they're identified. Um, that being said, <laughs> as good as it is to have the application program up and running, we know that funds aren't going to start flowing until May seventh at the earliest. Um, and again, it's 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 positive that money is coming, but every day business owners are having to make decisions in real time and to still having to be wait for another ten days or a week for funds. Um, again, it further complicates issues and is not helping. Okay, let's take a call from Dale in Toronto. Hi, Dale. Oh, thanks very much for taking my call. Um, You you know, though I appreciate uh, what's happening in the province, uh, you know, constant updates and all that. But one of the things I think we're lacking right now, and I don't know why the province is doing this, is the fact that, uh, you know, we don't have a timeline. We don't have a calendar. Um, and that does possess a problem or pose a problem because, I mean, everybody is out there asking, when are we going to get back to normal? And I know that's unanswered, but I think, you know, the administration should be giving um, Ontarians an idea of when things could get back to normal. And, and yes, that date could always be changed or tweaked, but it's, it's, it shows um, a bit of weakness, I think, because we don't have those dates. Like, for instance, if you look at Italy, uh, on May the 3rd, they've made it very clear that all um, uh, construction uh, and um, industrial um, sectors will open. Uh, the following week on the 15th, another sector kicks in. Okay, Dale, I... And, yeah. Uh, I, I just want to put that to to Ryan. You're frustrated by a lack of timeline. Uh, so are a lot of other people. Thanks very much for your call. Uh, Ryan, I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of business owners are uh, saying the exact same thing as Dale. Can't plan for this. Just give us an idea. 
Uh, they, they absolutely are. And I mean, it, it doesn't help either that uh, even within Canada, both Saskatchewan and New Brunswick out with their plans also have some pretty concrete dates uh, and deadlines as part of theirs. So we have a lot of Ontario business owners looking to them and saying, if they can do it, why not us? Now, that being said, I appreciate that the health situation is very different uh, in Ontario. And we do uh, laud the premier for how well he has he has handled that. Um, but at the same time, you know, business owners are looking to the government for some for some certainty, and not just on their own timelines, but uh, even on things like instilling consumer confidence. You know, we've seen a lot of uh, economies uh, begin to reopen, but at the same time, government messaging remains, you know, stay in your home as much as you can, keep social distancing, uh, not exactly positive uh, verbiage if you're a retailer who uh, very much wants customers to come into your store and buy your products. So, uh, we'll very much be looking for the Ontario government, too, to demonstrate the, the same leadership that they've shown on the health side of things, uh, be it the Premier himself or Minister Phillips or perhaps uh, Economic Development Minister, uh, Minister Fideli, um, but to instill that consumer confidence that we know when things are reopening, it's also okay for consumers to go out uh, and patronize those businesses. Uh, yeah, we, we're starting to run out of time, but you know, the, the consumers are just as cash strapped as, as anyone else. I mean, the business, even if it's allowed to come back, who's going to have money to spend? Well, and, that, and that's, that's a major, major concern. And also, I think an indicator too, uh, and also a pressing on the need to have defined timelines. Um, but the economic recovery is not going to be quick. Um, not only are, are the phases going to, uh, keep things slow and steady. And again, we're responding to a health crisis. That's important. But you're right. Consumer, I mean, there's a lot of people who are uh, currently on the, the uh, CERB benefit. Um, there's a lot of people who, you know, aren't, aren't making their full salaries, if any salary at all. Um, and that's going to put a damper on consumer spending that's going to be felt throughout the small business economy. Okay, 20 seconds. What would you like to leave us with? Uh, I just encourage everybody that when these businesses do finally open, please get out there and, and visit your local favorites. Um, they they desperately miss you as much as you miss them. Uh, and on the government side of things, um, you know, daily updates, but the sooner that we can get a timeline to plan for reopening, the better. Okay. Thank you so much, Ryan Malo. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, so uh, you heard it from the finance minister and from the representatives of small business, and that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.